Hi, Hi everyone. everyone. I'm John. And I'm Georgia. And we're here inside your ears to talk about the mac and cheese of movies. This, this is, is Comfort, Comfort Films. Films. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 34 of the Comfort Films podcast, where we're going to discuss Willow which, it so happens, is celebrating its 34th anniversary. <laughs> which we did not know. We didn't un- know at all. Until we started uh, hitting record, basically. <laughs> it's funny how this stuff keeps happening to us. I mean, we'll take it. You know, it's a very nice gift from the universe. We appreciate it. Yeah, well, I mean, and on top of that little 34-34 thing, we also, this weekend, started seeing the new uh, trailers for the the Willow TV show. Right. Which neither one of us even knew was happening. No. You didn't know anything. We <laughs> just so fall into stuff. We're you know? just out of touch, but the universe takes care of us anyway. Yeah. I guess is the lesson here. I appreciate that. Yeah, yes, I thank mean, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. May twentieth, nineteen eighty-eight. You know, that's when Willow came out. I saw this back in the theater. You know, a million years ago, young me. I was very excited. I can imagine you were. I'd never saw this until maybe four years ago. Oh God. <laughs> I mean, you got hosed so bad. Yeah, you know? I, I kind of did because I really, I, although I do like this movie, mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of things about it that I think are amazing. Yeah. Um, I also feel that I would have liked it much more if I was a kid because oh, yeah. it, it's so magical. And, you know, the character of Willow is this little guy who, you know, goes on to become the hero. And mm-hmm. when you're a kid, I think that you would relate to that a little bit more. Um, so I kind of feel like I missed out, but at the same time, it's a great, you know, exciting movie and I'm glad that I did finally see it and yeah. that we decided to rewatch it for this. Um, you know, cause it's, it's a little different, you know, this is kind of our last sword and sorcery type movie that we're going to be discussing, yeah. um, in this little month, month of sword and sorcery. Um, and this one's a little bit different cause it's more like adjacent to like high fantasy lord of the rings light if you will (laughs) i think that's very accurate i think that's very accurate you know because it's like we get right into the village and it reminds me a lot of the shire yes right yeah you know it and we have you know this villain you know what i mean we've got queen bav morta terrifying yeah evil sorcerer in this case sorceress right you know um and she's like trying to get this baby in this case Mm -hmm. a little different than the power ring but you know (laughs) the fact is our our hero here is unlikely yeah a nelwyn is just as unlikely as a hobbit as to be your kind of main hero i think and you know he groups up with another um kind of species of person which is the daikini in this Great case word. yeah daikini um and that's you know mad mardigan and played by val kilmer mm-hmm. and you know that's kind of like the aragorn in a way except aragorn is so much more serious <laughs> well yeah there's a lot of humor in this i mean we yeah. this is from george lucas he came up with the story in the 70s and you can really feel the power of his story through this because we see our character mad martigan is very similar to han solo or indiana jones or indiana jones yeah i mean pretty much any harrison ford lucas character <laughs> he is harrison ford no it's <laughs> well uh, yeah. it's it's definitely got the george lucas stamp on it mm-hmm. for on so many ways i mean you know ron howard actually directed this right. um but he in in the kind of background stuff that we watched Howard kind of was saying that this was kind of like his 
doctoral dissertation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Lucas was kind of like his professor that was like guiding him through this. Um, you know, so it, they had definitely a, a close relationship in making this movie. And it has Lucas's stamp from the Star Wars kind of stuff to mm-hmm. Warwick Davis's presence, of course. Oh, yeah. Um, and by the way, can we just quickly say Warwick Davis is only 17? Yeah, I mean, that's movie? amazing. I mean, he really sells it that he's a father and he knows what's going on. You know, I'm 45 and I'm like, wow, his family, his wife. <laughs> you know, the chemistry that he has with the lady that plays his wife, Kaya, I don't know the actor's name off the top of my head. Yeah, I don't either. Yeah. Um, but she, she's excellent. And uh, yeah, he just seems like a family man. Like yeah. you buy it. Yeah, 100%. It's really funny. Well, and you know, the other Julie thing... Julie Peters, by the way, is Okay, Kaya. Julie Peters is fantastic. And she was not Kaya. an actor. She just was like a secretary. What? Yeah, <laughs> and she just ended up in this. But I think that she and uh, Warwick Davis have such a great relationship. Like, you really believe it. Yeah. And, you know, it's scary. These people have, you know, a fairly simple life. They live in their Nolan village. And they kind of farm their land. Mm-hmm. You know, the big excitement is that, you know, uh, Willow wants to become the apprentice to the High Aldwin. Yeah, Billy uh, Barty, right. Except Billy Barty, the amazing Billy Barty. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's trying to do these magic things and everything and, and be more than he is. Like, Willow has ambition. Mm-hmm. And he wants to be more than just a farmer. Yeah. But at the same time... You know, that's what he is, and that's what he's doing. He has this little family, and then he's called upon by the fates or by destiny Mm -hmm. to be, you know, a hero, and he definitely rises to the occasion. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's what I like about this film is it's just not what you would expect. I mean, you know, it is something that I saw when I was a kid, and I got very involved in it, but I'm surprised that I was so invested because, once again, you know, I didn't have a family. You know what I mean? At that age. It wasn't 11 years of age. I was you weren't, thinking, like, married with children <laughs> no, when you were 12. Or, no. Yeah. I mean, but Warwick Davis, I mean, shit, man. You know, I mean, 12, he was only, like, yeah. He could have played a grandfather at 12, probably. This guy's so good. <laughs> he's versatile, yeah. And when you see the pictures of him in Return of the Jedi, he's like a baby. Yeah, he's you know? so young. Yeah. And that's, like, five years, you know, between the release of Return of the Jedi and... And then Willow, you know, and it's you can tell why George Lucas wanted Warwick Davis. As soon as he saw him, he's like, this is the guy to do the story, you know, and I I love that. I love the fact that he could recognize the talent and he gave this actor a film that's all his. I mean, the movie's called Willow. Yeah, it is. And Willow is truly the heart of this movie. Mm -hmm. I feel like you can like a lot of other things about the movie. But you have to just love Willow because he is who this movie is about. He is so relatable. Yeah, yeah. And Warwick Davis just plays it so perfectly. I just think, you know, I'm actually excited about the show because he's back. Although I think they're going to have to explain why he looks amazing because he was supposed to be, you know, this older kind of family man in the movie. And now he still looks fantastic. He's a sorcerer. (laughs) Well, he's a sorcerer now. I mean, that's magic, (laughs) right? That's his growth, you know, over the course of the film. I, I mean, I also want to mention in the Shire, I mean, we have a band. Okay. And in that band, we have Kenny Baker, right mm-hmm. who is r2d2 in the star wars yes. films and we also have jack purvis who actually did comedy 
with Kenny Baker. They had oh, like wow. a comedy deal that they went out and did together. That's really funny. I didn't know anything about that. Well, it kind of mimics the Rick Overton, Kevin Pollock. Yes. Because they went out and they would do improv together. And the two, those two guys, they played the Brownies. Yes, the, the, the Frangine and Rule. You got it. Which, this is a, probably the best time of any since you just called the Nelwyn Village the Shire. Yeah, I did. And, I? Yeah, and... Uh, <laughs> And I'm I'm just ripe for making a, a serious error here. But we are terrible <laughs> at like remembering these names and these high fantasy things. Yeah. Like if we do a Lord of the Rings episode at some point, which I'm sure we will, oh. we're really gonna have to call in an expert to <laughs> we, help us manage these. We need a spirit guy. <laughs> we do. Yeah, we need yeah. somebody who can just be like, This is called this because these names get crazy. Like you can do that on like Star Wars movies. Well, you know, the older I get, the more I blow it with things. I mean, you know, just give it some time. We'll, we'll see, you know, Well, what I'm happens. saying, like, with Star Wars, you're pretty good at remembering all these outlandish crazy names. With Game of Thrones, I can do it. I you know, tank, there's there's a million characters that. in that series, you know, yeah. cause, but I've read the books, so I kind of can, you know, remember who they're, what they're called and what the different, you know, places are called and all this. Mm -hmm. But in, in Willow, neither one of us are really the expert. So no. if we tank it, you know, don't use us as a resource. If right. You're writing a research paper on Willow right now. I it's guess. just, it's, it's the spirit of the discussion. Yes, right? exactly. We're right. talking more about the, the meaning than the, <laughs> the substance here because well, we don't know even though we don't know what the fuck we're talking about <laughs> we're really going to give you something meaningful in this episode that that's what we want to get across to you guys no, i know what i'm talking about when it comes to story right, i just right. may not remember what you know the the name of one of the people is called or what the hounds are called i i i don't know what i remember we're just well, we're gonna find out as we press through we will we will or we won't yeah and that's okay yeah We'll just be like, that one guy with the thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, enough uh, of this good discussion. <laughs> I mean... Uh... <laughs> well, I just thought it was important to get that out of the way. It is important. It is because, important. Yeah. I mean, occasionally we kind of tank out with some kind of fact so, here and there. Oh, man. I did it on Hot Fuzz. Yeah. I, I kept calling... The actor Robert Woodward. I mean, <laughs> what the fuck? I'm like thinking it's... about all the president's men. I mean, that's horrible, man. His yeah, name yeah. is really Edward Woodward. Yeah, I, I think it's because there's too many words in there. It's his own fault. <laughs> let's let's blame the, the celebrated. It's actor, his parents. Of You're right. They, they did, did it. it. They did it. They did it. You know, after all the president's men, change it up, bud. Yeah, that's it. So the other thing I want to make sure we mention, which is interesting, is that George Lucas actually directed Ron Howard in American Graffiti. Yes. So they already had that relationship. Yeah. To, uh, the working relationship. And it just shows in this because, you know, I think Ron Howard was able to do a lot of really cool stuff in mm -hmm. this. And with George Lucas's help. I think he was able to achieve more than he would have otherwise. Not that Ron Howard isn't fantastic, but George oh, yeah. Lucas has all these resources at his disposal, like Industrial Light and Magic, oh, which wow. is an enormous part of the success of this movie. Right. I mean, that was something that was amazing. So the morphing, which was a big deal, you know, we saw a brief documentary on that, which was so enlightening. It was great. Because you see these people, okay? You see, you know, Dennis Murin and Douglas Smythe, 
And these are huge people. If you look at your credits on on these people, you're just going to be like, oh, my God, they did this. They went on to do Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Yeah. And so what their big achievement was here was the morphing. And so when we had Finn Rizal changing form, that took so much effort. Yeah. And they explained it in such beautifully amazing detail. My brain couldn't process it, (laughs) but I knew it was amazing. And it also was amazing that... Both of these titans, you know, Dennis Murin and Douglas Smythe, each wanted to give credit to the other one for inventing the process to begin with. Inventing the term, even. I I thought that was really cool as well. I mean, so the morphing scene is basically just this part where Fenrisel is being turned back into her true form through all these other animals. And the way that they normally would have accomplished that prior to digital effects was through the use of some dissolves or, you know, something like that, maybe mm-hmm. some mats, whatever. But this guy, Dennis Murin, was like, well, we might be able to do it digitally. And this is like, you know, the first basically time this was ever thought of being done. So he gives it over to this guy, Doug Smythe, who ends up creating like a whole software. And like, it's so complicated. Like, it's way too much for me. And I actually do stuff with computers, but I couldn't, this is just beyond my capacity considering the technology that was available at that time and yeah the the work that they did was so just innovative yeah and advanced yeah and the fact that they want to give each other credit i think is kind of amazing and we see this again like I got to give it to George Lucas because he he comes up with these great stories. Mm -hmm. He's definitely like your story guy. And, you know, what he does a lot of times is just take, you know, other things and kind of mash them up together and make them into this really cool story. That's what kind of Star Wars is. Like, okay, let's do a space story and, you know, uh, Taoism and let's take some inspiration from the Hidden Fortress by Akira Kurosawa and let's do it sword and sorcery style. Yeah. Like, what are you talking about? Like, it sounds crazy, but it works. Or then he has, like, Indiana Jones, which he wrote the story for and gives it to his buddy, Steven Spielberg, to, like, make into this amazing series. Yeah. That, you know, instead of keeping it to himself. I think that's pretty cool. Like, just saying, hey, this is my friend and I want to give them a good property to work with. It's amazing. And I don't know that George Lucas actually wrote the the screenplay proper, but he was, you know, the story guy. For Willow? Yeah. Yeah, no. Willow, he wrote the story and it was Bob Dolman who wrote the screenplay. And with Indiana Jones... Now, that wasn't something where George Lucas wrote the script either, right? Again, it was he was the story guy and then he handed it off. Yeah, I mean, that's... Yeah, he's a, he wow. comes up with these great ideas for what to make a movie about and and then hands it over to somebody else to do. I'm impressed. I don't know. Yeah. I just think that's kind of a big deal. Well, sure. I can't really imagine, you know, being that comfortable with myself. I'm actually a pretty big story guy, too. I come up with a lot of ideas and never do anything with them, mm-hmm. but I still hoard them. <laughs> You know. They're mine. <laughs> They're mine, my precious. <laughs> exactly. They're yeah. back to Lord of the Rings there. Right. Um, yeah, no, I'm like, you know, the dragon with my horde of ideas. <laughs> well, it's something where when you take a look at Willow, 
you know, we can really clearly see all the influences of all these other amazing projects. You know, for instance, we see Willow as a farmer, very similar to Luke Skywalker. You know, Luke Absolutely. Skywalker, you know, is out on his desert dirt farm or underground farm, as it were, with uh, the abuse of Uncle Owen. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> you know, and we don't have an Uncle Owen, but we do have Burgle Cut, who is the turd of turds, you know? Yeah. He's like the Monsanto king. You know, he sees Willow planting. He's like, where'd you get those seeds, bro? You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. what's your business, burgle turd? Yeah, he's like going to take Willow down. Like, and that gets, like, pretty nuts. Because burgle cut is like the guy that just sucks. And everyone has somebody like that in their life. He's you know, like it's... the town dick. Yeah, and it's just like, it's just like, oh. It, it's kind of like uh, Biff. From Back to the Future it is. a little bit. The, actually, that is perfect. That is perfect. It is just like Biff. Yeah, because you have your, like, hero, and, and you, you know, you're on their side. Yeah. And they're kind of an underdog. Mm -hmm. Like, Willow's an underdog. Marty McFly's an underdog. Right. And then you have, like, this guy who's just, like, a total jerk, mm -hmm. much bigger than your, you know, protagonist. Yeah. And kind of just an asshole for the sake of it. And that's what Burglecut is like. Yeah, Burglecut's physically imposing, and he likes to just get in your face, and he likes to laugh. And when Willow is doing his, you know, like, sleight-of-hand magic trick with making the piglet disappear, mm -hmm. you know, which is important. Yes, because this is what, first of all, it's important to the story. Yeah. Because he uses this kind of trick later mm -hmm. um, to great effect. To save Laura Dannon. Right. Um, but at the beginning, he does it, and the pig kind of escapes and runs away. And Burgle Cut laughs and, like, yeah. just takes a shit on him. And you're like, Burgle Nuts, shut up. Yeah, shut up, Burgle Butt. Yeah, like, Burgle Butt Butts. <laughs> I don't know. It's great that his name is Burgle Cut, though, because it gives us a lot of property to work with. Yeah, it's like shit burger. You <laughs> know what I mean? It's like, I'd like a... Burgle shit. Like, yeah, I gotta go to the bathroom. I gotta go do a Burgle Cut. <laughs> <laughs> Not in my bathroom, pal. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, we have this villain that's just like a complete turd. And it's fun. It's fun to like joke about this character. Yeah, of course. And of course, he also then has to work with Willow. Um, oh, yeah. As we, you know, at least for a minute before he like cheeses out on him. But... And he has to be the leader of the expedition. Yeah. Now, how many times have we had the group project and then the leader of the group project... Eats get, it. Yeah, just, oh. Yeah, I mean, really, this is like a group project when Willow's kind of the one, is the you, who does all the work while everybody else is just screwing around. Although we do have Migosh, who's Migosh kind of great as well. Well, but we also, I mean, with Willow, it's also a confidence issue. Yeah. Because, you know, with the High Aldwin, when he asks the questions of his prospective apprentices, yeah, Willow, you know, gives the wrong answer. And then later the high old one goes, what did you think the answer was? And Willow's like, well, I thought it, but I thought, you know, no way. I thought that the power of the universe was in my finger. Yeah. And that was it. And, and it that was, was the answer, but yeah. he didn't trust himself to give the answer. I've been in that position many times, so I, I, I yeah. really can relate to that. And, and, you know, this is kind of a journey of Willow learning to trust himself and believe in himself. Because in the end, that's what really saves them, right. is him using his own talents that he already has, mm -hmm. and him believing in himself in order to push himself to do more. Yeah. And it, it works because of that. So. Well, and even with the High Aldwin, I mean, it's played for humor, 
but he kind of screws up a lot too. Yeah. Like he creates this bird or he enchants this <laughs> bird to guide the party to where they should go with Alora Dannon. Yeah. And the bird just goes the, the other, other way. way. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's just like, and it's okay. It, it's a, it's a great life lesson, you yeah. know, because all of us want to be perfectionists, you know, and yeah. we, we really put people on a pedestal sometimes, but really we're all in the same boat. And sometimes you make a mistake oh, and yeah. that has to be okay. You know, it's just the way life goes. At the beginning of the movie, I would like also to point out mm -hmm. that we have this great character who doesn't last very long, Ethna, oh, yeah. and it's an overarching thing in this movie that I wanted to talk about, which is that we have these older female characters who are kind of awesome. Yes. And you almost never get that in no. a movie. Like, there's rarely even one older female character, much less three and in this, I think we do have three. We have Queen Bavmorda, who's evil, obviously. Yeah. Fantastic. But still an amazing character. She's yeah. a super powerful magician. Mm -hmm. And she can do all this crazy stuff. Um, and, and yeah, she has tons of followers. She's like, you know, in charge. Yeah. And I think that was really cool. And then, of course, you have Fenrizel, who is a wizard or whatever we want to call her. Sorceress. Yeah. And she's been turned into an animal by Bavmorda. Um, at, at the beginning, I think it's a possum, like an Australian possum. I thought it was like a flying squirrel, but I, I can't I even like tell that the squirrel's flying. I, I knew it was like a small furry creature. Yeah, I, I was thinking like maybe squirrel. I didn't yeah, know if, if it flew, I would have been really into that. Well, part. like flying like, you know, squirrel suit style like with our... Oh, that's I thought you meant like wings, was. like Pegasus no. style. And I was like, that's great. Like the real animal flying squirrel. Like, no, like I had that. to look up what this animal was. I had no clue. Mm -hmm. And it was it's a possum, but it's like not a possum like we get in our alley. Oh my God, those are scary. And then they have the glowing eyes. Yeah. Oh my God. They have kind of like a rat tail, like Ooh. a naked rat tail. It's kind of creepy. But this is like this furry tailed type possum that they have in Australia. Okay. Um. So I was like, oh. Okay, I didn't know what it was. <laughs> but uh, over the course of the thing, she turns into a raven, a goat, and then in the morphing scene, into like a turtle, a tiger, an ostrich, like all these different things. It's pretty cool. It's Well, and again, going back to those transformations, they originally called that morph, M-O-R-F. And then somebody said, we can't call it that because people are going to think we don't know how to spell. <laughs> It's just amazing. It, oh, that was really funny. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Fenrizel, you know, and Bad to have this crazy face-off, you know, at the end. And yeah. it's like two extremely powerful sorceresses rather than, you know, dudes. I think we're used to seeing it be two dudes. Like Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. Sauron, Saruman, Gandalf, all these people. But this is actually women, which I thought was really cool and different and there's like a fist fight like Rizel just punches bab <laughs> in the face i was like all right i was like what yeah um, but and then at the beginning we have this character ethna who i think is kind of like the unsung hero of the movie in a way um because if it wasn't for her we wouldn't even have a movie no she's like the movie before the movie yeah so at the beginning of willow we have the prophecy and they put it up on the screen that there's going to be a child born and they bear this mark. And that child is actually going to be the one that takes down Queen Bavmorda. Yeah. So it's like, you know, we see all these women, you know, in prison. And we see a mother, 
You know, looks like she just gave birth. Yeah, she did. Yeah. And, you know, Sorsha, which is Joanne Wally, mm-hmm. who's kind of like a, another main character in this movie. Um, she is the daughter of Queen Bavmorda. And she's down here in like this dungeon. Dressed as like a midwife, which yeah, is super bizarre. It's weird because she's also like a warrior. I'm like, what is this person doing? I don't know. Right. Yeah. Um, but at this point in the movie, she's checking the babies. And <laughs> you know that job. Yeah, you know what I mean? We've all, had, we've all had that. And yeah, she, summer gig. you know, she notices that this baby does have this, this runic mark on her arm. And that means she is like, you know, the prophecy is true. So Sorsha like runs out to tell Bavmorda, hey, this baby has been born. Right. And Bavmorda is just going to go grab the kid, do the ritual banish the baby from the earth or whatever and then she's good to go right but while sorsha has gone the the woman who has just had the baby is able to talk to ethna who i don't know she just works there i guess <laughs> she kind of feels like a cleaning lady or a laundry lady or something i'm like i don't know what her pur- purpose is she's just ethna you know she's there yeah. and this woman asks her to save the baby and Athna is like reluctant. But at the same time, if somebody asks you to save a baby, are you going to just be like, no, nah, I'm good. No. So Athna right. like puts the baby in kind of this laundry basket and puts clothes on top of her and kind of smuggles her out mm-hmm. and then goes on this cross country, cross world kind of chase to get away from Bavmorda's people. Yeah, she goes through the the snow. She goes through the forest. Yeah. She's just like, just hoofing it. You know what I mean? And it's just like, she doesn't have anything with her. It's just her and the baby and the clothes on her back. This is a badass character. She is. This could have been like the entire movie. Yeah, that could have been the movie. That could have been like part one. You know, we always do prequels. Yeah. That that shit should have been just called Ethna kicking ass yeah. you know what i mean i mean and you know ends up sacrificing herself for the baby really yeah she you know she ends up being like torn apart by these uh knockmar hounds yeah and they're nasty because they've got these rat-like tails yeah and they said that it was actually trained rottweilers and they had like the the rubber mask on them you know yeah. and it was it they was look pretty scary. Wild. They look, they're just, they're really evil looking kind of creatures. And weren't they Rottweilers and yeah. Conan the Barbarian? It was Rottweilers, like armored Rottweilers. <laughs> and they took down who, Conan's dad. Yeah, who ripped up Conan's dad wow. in that movie. So it's it's funny. We have these weird connections still between all these movies. Yeah, and Beastmaster, again, that was a movie that dealt with a person born with a mark was going to take down the king. Absolutely. So it's exactly the same thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's funny because these are like these classic stories. And it's funny to me, the more you watch movies, mm-hmm. the more you make these connections. Yeah. And you can just see like how all stories are very similar, really. And there's just, there's different things about them that make them unique. But at the heart... A lot of them have, like, the same kind of bones, I guess, I would say. Yeah, well, because, you know, you have a movie like Indiana Jones, right? And that has that scene where he's fighting the Nazis in the truck. Mm -hmm. Very great scene of Raiders of the Lost Ark. And in this film, we have Mad Mardigan and Willow with the brownies Mm -hmm. and also with Alora Dannon trying to escape. 
in that wagon. Right. Like that, that horse and, and carriage. It's like a cart, I guess. Cart, yeah. That's, and, you know, it's like a similar scene to that, that truck scene in mm-hmm. Rage of the Lost Ark. It does have a real similar feel to it. Yeah. And... Uh, that's like a there's a lot of really good action scenes in this movie. Yeah, the the sled, the actually going on the uh, the sled ride. Yeah. When Mad Mardigan and Willow escape, that reminds me of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, when uh, Willie Scott, Indiana Jones, and Short Round jump out of the plane and they're on that inflatable raft. Oh yeah. And then they just fly down the hill. Yeah. That's really funny. Right. So it's it's like, again, it's like these great action scenes. I mean, they have a lot in common. You know, it's like if you can really put your finger on, hey, what's awesome? Yeah. And then you, you know, just change a few things about it to fit the story. Because like, you know, I wouldn't compare on the surface. I wouldn't say that Willow and Indiana Jones have a lot in common. No, actually, they have a ton in common. Well, it's I well. Yeah, I mean, they do. I, I mean, it's like, and I'm like, wait, but we have sorcerers. And I'm like, well, there is, you know, magic at play in the Indiana Jones films as yeah. well. You know, they're, they're supernatural forces, whatever you, you want to term it. Yeah. And we also have a situation like Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, where Indiana Jones falls in love with a Nazi. What do we have here? Mad Mardigan falls in love with Sorsha mm-hmm. because of that love potion. Well, I mean, I think that we're supposed to think that he kind of liked her to begin with. Yeah, he said she was beautiful. They yeah. first meet up in this kind of tavern where there's another action sequence which is very fun it's like a close quarters fight kind of a thing and mad mardigan like kind of is dressed as a woman you know not really but poorly just to fool a dumb person it's (laughs) it's so shitty because he has the the veil on and like you can see the five o'clock shadow and it's just like you know yeah the illusion is broken you know what i mean but it's really then he's still holding it up and then when sorsho confronts him he kind of drops it and tells her she's beautiful it's like he can't stop himself or something so i think there's already an attraction there yeah but then later he gets like you know bogeyed by the brownies (laughs) who you know, throw this love dust on him, and he falls in love with her through that. Is that called the dust of a broken heart? I think so. Well, that, <laughs> well the other thing, too, is I, I'm unclear on the mechanics of, of this potion. I am also unclear on it, because we see this this happen earlier. Right. That, like, Rule, one of the brownies... Kevin Pollock. Kevin Pollock gets kind of splashed with this love dust... And he falls in love while well, he's trying to get the dust to go to this woman who he's like, oh, she could fall in love with me. It's like a, a daikini woman and he's a brownie. So he comes up to about her ankle. So that was very funny. Yeah. But he ends up like accidentally splashing himself with it and falls in love with the cat. <laughs> so because it's the first thing he sees. So that kind of set it up to me that I thought the dust would get you, you know, to fall in love the first thing you see. Right. Which would be hilarious, mm-hmm. but Mad Mardigan gets it, and you know he sees like six people before he sees Sorsha. Well, and then also Rule falls into like a vat of beer, and then he comes up and he's like beer, <laughs> and like he loves beer. Yeah, and I mean, well, I don't think that was love potion related. I think he just loves beer. I okay, I can relate to that. Yeah. I can relate to that. <laughs> I I well, it's just like again, it's like you know when we watch these movies and we know we're going to talk about them. I try to like be like, okay, so what's happening here? You know, and uh, 
Yeah. Well, I thought it was a little wobbly with the how does this love potion work? But either way, it felt like Mad Mardigan and Sorcha were on a trajectory to end up together. Very much. Very Which, much. You know, they do at the very end, they end up together and they take Alora Dannon. Like they're going to kind of adopt her themselves, which is a little, I don't know, Willow. I don't know if I would have been, <laughs> I thought Willow was kind of like pretty trusting of Sorsha since she's the one who kind of started this whole thing. She went to run off and tell her mother right. about it, but I guess she's changed. So we're supposed to buy her change by the end because she did have to go through a lot to make this change. Well, and this is also something I want to bring up, the Indiana Jones films. I was thinking about, you know, Raiders, Temple of Doom, Last Crusade, and each one of those movies, the love interest for Indy, there is friction in each one of those relationships. Yeah, that's true, for sure. So it's like, I'm like, okay, so this is like, this is something, you know, it's like we have like opposites attract, there's a spark, you know, there's an attraction. And also with Willow, his very name is Ufgood, right? Yeah. And so it's like Willow of Good is what it sounds like. So he is like the most kind-hearted man, and he wants to believe the best in people. Yeah. Well, I mean, we see him struggle with this when he first meets Mad Mardigan. Right. Because what's happened is um, Willow and his kind of band of Nelwins goes to find a daikini because they have found this baby, Alora Dan, and they don't know that's her name at the time. Mm -hmm. um, but they have found this baby and they want to return her to a daikini because she doesn't belong with the Nelwins. Right. And that's basically what they all come to the conclusion. So they uh, just go looking for daikini who they can hand over the baby to. Right. And they come to this crossroads and there's this person in a cage there, which is Val Kilmer mm -hmm. as Mad Mardigan. And he kind of explains that he's the swordsman and he's the greatest swordsman and he wants to be let out. Um, but he's not being very nice about asking to be let no, out. not at all. He's calling Willow Peck, which is, seems to be like a kind of a, I don't know, weird little name or slur almost that people call. It feels like a slur to me. Yeah, it made me cringe each time. I was like, stop saying it. Yeah, stop I didn't like it. it. Yeah, I, didn't I wasn't feel in good on about it. it. Yeah. Um, but this is what they're calling him. And it's almost like, you know, jerk or like whatever, you know. But I didn't like it. But no. he keeps, you know, calling him that and telling him, you know, let me out. And, you know, not really asking in a nice way. Yeah. And yet, since he's the first daikini that the group has run into, mm -hmm. Burgle Snout, of course, <laughs> is like, okay, well, we found one. Let's just give the baby to him and let's leave. Yeah. You know, yeah. he's like, we did our job. Um, and Willow is like, yeah, but he's a prisoner. You know, he must have done something to deserve to be locked up. And, of course, Burglecut is like, eh, who cares? Yeah, like, geez. You and know? he's like, I'm the leader. This is what we're doing. Screw you. That's a terrible leader. Yeah. And, you know, Willow basically says, no, I'm not going to do that. Yep. He's like, I'm, I'm, you know, responsible for this baby. The High Aldwin told me to trust myself. Mm -hmm. I don't trust that this is a good idea. So I'm going to stay. And Migosh, who is kind of his best friend, yep. stays with him. Um, but the rest of them end up leaving because Burglecut is supposed to be the leader of this mission. And he kind of commands all of their other people to come. And the other people who are with them are more like the militaristic kind of warrior of Nelwyn. Yeah, there's Von Carr. Yes. Right? 
And that is the best warrior in the village. Yeah. And what's very fascinating about Von Karr is he takes out, you know, that evil hound. He's yeah. like he's like the guy that actually kills it, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. And, you know, because so. there are two that get loose. And do we see how both die? Or do we just see I one? I think only one of them died. Okay. Um, this was back in the village scene when they're supposed to just be having like this little village festival. Mm -hmm. And then it got interrupted by these hounds who come in and uh, attack the... Well, they first are attacking this baby. They're trying to attack a baby. Right. It's just like a, a baby bed or something that they kind of tear up but the baby wasn't in it mm -hmm. and that's when willow realizes that you know something or someone is after a baby right he just found a baby mm -hmm. must be that baby so yeah so the cool thing about von Carr is he is this warrior and he also has this stunning resemblance to phil lynott uh, you know, the, the lead singer of Thin Lizzy, you know, the bassist, extremely talented. And it's amazing because I'm like, whoa, Thin Lizzy. And I'm always excited because the Thin Lizzy songs, like Phil Lynott was really into like Kukulin, you know, and all these songs of battle and honor. And I was like, man, this guy looks exactly like him. And the actor's name is Phil... Phil Fondacaro. Phil Fondacaro. So it's two Phils. Two Phils. <laughs> that's like two Jakes. Yeah. <laughs> that's why I said it. Uh, that's very good. So, but yeah, I, I just wanted to jump in quick with that point because we're both big Thin Lizzy fans. Yeah. But, well, you know, and I always think it's funny when someone really looks like somebody else yeah. for some reason. And I didn't think about the... I didn't think about... Phil Lynott and Cucullin and all the Irish mythology that right. he was into with Thin Lizzy songs. That's funny. Yeah, it's right there. Yeah. Well, so and this one... is like a Nelwyn Phil Lynott. <laughs> this is, well, and there is the bands there already. That's true. We can right? just rip down a couple tunes with them. <laughs> I want like a boys are back in town. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Just laying it down. Oh my God. That would be brilliant. Oh man. You should no. do a video of that. I would love that. I would love that. Maybe, you know, in the new show, we will get that. That would be very awesome. That would be very awesome. That'll just be the theme of Will of the Two <laughs> yeah. series. Uh, yeah, I can really... Guess who? Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah, it would be really nice. But back to where I, I've, like, really took us off the road from, Mad Mardigan, when we first see him, he's in a cage. And, yes, it's like, let's give Mad Mardigan the baby so we can get out of here. And yeah. Willow good guy says no yeah. and everybody else splits yeah except for me gosh who is kind of like the samwise gamgee best buddy character yeah yeah who seems to always be sticking with uh willow you know regardless which is really cool yeah it's like his best bud yeah and he, I like he only leaves because he asks he tells him to yeah eventually so at at some point there after they've thought about it for a while they've kind of been abandoned by their other teammates and it's just me gosh and willow and this huge like thing of soldiers comes by oh, and they yeah. think well we can give the baby to these daikini soldiers right but they're like no we're not going to take a baby give it to some woman you know we're not going to take it yeah they're too good yeah. and we find out that mad mardigan and this guy who's their leader eric just kind of like Eric. I, I, I feel like Eric. he was saying Eric. I feel like he it was. It felt like he was too, but it's yeah. spelled Eric. 
Eric. I don't know. I'd be like, hey, Eric, what up? You know? <laughs> but Eric uh, won't let Mad Mardigan join them or anything, even though he knows he's a good swordsman. He just won't. And then the soldiers leave, and Willow and Migosh are sitting there with the baby and Mad Mardigan again. So they do decide to go ahead and give the baby to Mad Mardigan. Which I still have to say, I just wouldn't have done it, because I don't trust Mad Mardigan. You know, the character of Mad Mardigan, when we find him, really reminds me of things we've seen again in other media. It reminds me of, like, it's like, you know, he's like that person that you find in a Western that's like the town drunk, and then, you know, we put faith in him, and then he makes this this great turn and becomes a very cool person. Yeah, but at first, you're like, mm, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I, I understand. I mean, Willow feels, I think, at that point that he's done his due diligence trying to get this baby placed somewhere. Right. He's like CPS. He's trying to get the baby <laughs> to the right. I'm just laughing at my verbiage. But... He feels like he's tried, and Mad Mardigan is there, and Mad Mardigan says he'll take the baby. So he's just like, okay, this is what I was supposed to do. I am going to do it. He gives the baby to Mad Mardigan. Well, he has his wife, and he has his family. Yeah. And he has never been away from Kaya, his wife. Yeah, and this is exactly like Frodo. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, they're on this quest to, to fulfill their goal, which is, you know, in this case for Willow, to get this baby back to a Daikini person. Right. Because that's where the baby belongs. Mm-hmm. And he does that. Um, and so he and Migosh are headed back. And they get kidnapped. This is when the brownies are introduced. Right. So they kind of get... They, they're they kind of like walking back home, I guess we'd say. And they see this hawk like flying through the sky with a baby yeah. in its claws and there's a brownie on its back yelling that he got this baby mm-hmm. and they realize that it's the baby that they gave to Mad Mardigan. Um, so Willow is pissed. Oh yeah. <laughs> and he, you know, he and Migosh end up getting captured by these brownies who have also stolen the baby. And they do like a Gulliver's travels. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of totally moment. the type of feeling I had mm-hmm. when it was kind of a funny idea because when you start the story and you have like Nelwyn who are little people and then you have Daikini who are tall people and then you have brownies who are even littler people. Right. Like they, I think in the eighties, especially we had like this thing for like really small people. Like I was thinking about this show that my sisters watch called the littles Mm -hmm. and it was kind of like these brownie sized people. I hated the show, by the way. I don't, I don't, yeah, like I have no. I think it was on Nickelodeon. I just, okay. it, it, the, the, the song lives rent free in my head. <laughs> okay. It's like, here come the littles. And every time I would hear it, I would just be like, ugh, I'm going to okay. go read a book. I don't want to watch the littles. I don't think there's anything bad about it. I just was tired of it. <laughs> sure. What I think of is the secret life of Arietti. It's, the littles is exactly like that. Like, oh, that's wow. pretty okay. much what. When we saw that movie, mm-hmm. it made me think of The Littles. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so, I don't know. I'll go back and research The Littles. I have a lot of things I remember from the 80s from, like, TV that are just, like, a vague memory yeah. of, like, all these Nickelodeon shows that my sisters used to watch. Mm-hmm. And I really didn't watch them, but I would be, you know, in the room reading or doing something else while they were watching them. So, right. it's like, I just have a vague memory. The Littles is one of those. And they were very similar to in size to the brownies now the brownies live in the woods 
And they're kind of like mischievous, like chaos fairies or something. Right. But they're not fairies. We see fairies also. Um, and that's like when we see um, Cherlindria, who, in my opinion, is very, again, Lord of the Rings, sorry. But it's, it's very like Galadriel. They have this person who's this um, fairy type person. I don't yeah. know exactly what she is not exactly an elf she seems like a giant fairy um or an angel or something she's like this glowing woman right who comes to the brownies and to willow and tells willow that he is in charge of this baby he she tells him the name of the baby is Alora dannon yeah she tells him how important the baby is and that he's in charge of making sure that the baby is safe and the baby Alora dannon thinks Willow is cool. She yes. also tells him that as well. And she also tells the brownies to, to cool off, yeah. you know, and stop, you know, trying to tie them down. Yeah. yeah, she stops the brownies from doing what they're doing. Yeah. And then we do have other fairies show up, which are like glowing little flying things, whereas the brownies are tiny little people on foot. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's really a, a whole world that's been built here. Yeah, it's huge. And I mean, he gets the wand yes. and he's told to go find Finn Rizel, Yes. Who is our powerful sorceress. Yeah. And that's kind of the next section of the quest. Um, and, and through this, he ends up going to this tavern, which kind of reminds me of when the hobbits went to the tavern <laughs> uh, to meet Aragorn. Right. Um, he goes into this tavern. He ends up running into Mad Mardigan again, and they end up um, kind of teaming up. Um, although he's super pissed at Mad Mardigan. Right. For, like, you know, dropping the ball on this baby sitting gig that he gave him. <laughs> um, and that's kind of what we thought about Mad Mardigan, right? Like, he'll take the baby sure right but, like the first thing something happens he's not gonna fight to keep the baby um because this is a journey of mad mardigan you know maturing and growing as a person as well well here's something interesting i think that there's actually kind of a message in here because when willow first encounters alora dannon you know like you had mentioned to me you're like the, his kids are like, this is a new pet. We love it. You know, his wife, Kaya, loves it. He doesn't want to hold it. He wants nothing to do with it. But as soon as he holds the child and he takes on that parent role, he doesn't want to give it up. Yeah. And we see the same thing with Mad Mardigan. He actually does seem to have some remorse that he lost the child. Yeah. And he does not want her to fall into harm. Yeah. So he continues on with Willow to get to Finn Rizel. Yeah, and he, you know, he seems reluctant, but he does it. Yeah. And it, you know, is a good thing for him because it ends up leading him on, you know, this this kind of thing that takes him to Sorsha. Right. Um, and the two of them begin a relationship. And he also kind of regains his status as a swordsman. Well, that's another big thing that brings me back to the Western. A lot of these movies will be like, oh, he used to be the best shot in town, but he's too drunk. You know, he can't do it. It's just like that. That's right? so smart. And then it's like we actually, you know, have when Mad Mardigan finally gets a sword 
and he's, you know, doing all these moves, and he's just cutting through the villains. It's very impressive. He is the hero. He is the Aragorn. He yeah, becomes it. He does. You know, and, and so it's like, I, I like that we have, again, one of our favorites with Mad Mardigan. We have the redemption arc. Yes. You know, and we also have that with Sorsha. That's true. We have a really strong redemption arc with her. Right. Because she starts out, like, completely on the bad side. Yeah. Um, and I, what I thought was really interesting when we were watching kind of the backstory on this, we watched, like, a featurette. We watched a bunch, yeah. Um, yeah, quite a few. Mm -hmm. But one of the ones that we saw was with deleted scenes. Yes, And there yes. was, like, a whole arc of deleted scenes with Sorsha's father. Yes, yes. Um, and they ended up cutting it for a lot of different reasons. But it was interesting to me that they had this idea that she was kind of torn between loyalty to her mother, who is this evil queen, mm -hmm. and loyalty to her father, who seemed like a good person. Right. So I thought that was an interesting thing that they set up that didn't end up making it to the end because they cut out everything to do with his father, except for like a little cameo type thing where he's in a shot. Um, at the end. I wish they kept it in. I would have liked to have seen that in the in the narrative. Um, I feel like it, it still works for me because I it's inexplicable. But when you see Sorsha, I feel like somehow they managed to capture her in the same way that Mad Mardigan feels about her before he's been dosed with the love potion. He is just completely taken with her. And, you know, he says she's beautiful, you know, but I'm the type of person where I always think beyond just you're beautiful, like meaning physically beautiful, but also on the inside, too. Mm -hmm. And so it's like he saw who this... she could be. Exactly. I think that's really I think that's very sensible kind of way to look at it, because it is like that he is interested in her beyond just physical beauty. Mm -hmm. um, he's interested in who she is as a person. Why is this woman leading all these you know soldiers yeah why you know? is she like just out here trying to destroy the world why is why is she doing that you know she's out here and then there's like general kale yeah. pat roach we haven't even talked no, about that character yet. On him yet terrifying he's got this skull mask which made me think about skeletor at the time yeah it made me think about well, it actually made me think of the Masters of the Universe movie Skeletor. Okay. And how the skeleton face looks in that. But yeah, again, another connection. General Kale is a fantastic villain because Pat Roach shows up in like every movie that we've ever seen. <laughs> again, yeah, it's another person. He was in Clash of the Titans. Yes, he was Hephaestus. Yeah. He is the uh, mechanic Nazi in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. He is the Grand Tuggy in Temple of Doom. And, I mean, I'm sure, like, there's a billion other things. And I'm like, well, what else was he in? Well, he was in this. <laughs> you know what I mean? But he he was in so many things because he was just this fantastic stuntman. Yeah, and he's very um, imposing physically um, kind of a figure. Um, and he ends up, you know, kind of being the primary antagonist for Mad Mardigan. And he also, I'm sorry... Pat Roach always seems to look completely different every time we see him. I would not have even known it was the same person, yeah. so I fully agree with you. Okay, please continue. Yeah, no, I was just saying that, like, the big showdown, you know, at the end is Mad Mardigan versus General Kale. Mm -hmm. And he, you know, they are in this big sword fight, and it goes on and on and on, and he ends up finally taking Kale down. Um, and I will just take a quick sidebar to note that... <laughs> 
the name Kale was a reference to a movie critic, Pauline Kale. <laughs> um, and apparently also the two-headed dragon that they're fighting is called the Eborsisk and was named after Siskel and Ebert. So Lucas or someone had a bit of a bone to pick with these film critics. I think that was hilarious. So the dragon, I didn't even realize this. I've watched this movie several times. Okay. <laughs> but the dragon kind of results from a mistake, I guess, that Willow makes while he's fighting with these bridge trolls, which are terrifying. Yeah, they like climb the walls. They're and... first Oof. climbing under the bridge. Oh. So like, you know, you have Willow with Alora Dannon like running across this bridge and underneath you have this disgusting bridge troll um that and then they're also like running down the wall so it's really gross yeah but while willow is kind of fighting one he takes out the wand and tries to kill it and or whatever he's doing to it and it does something really gross yes so it looks like it kind of turns it inside out and then these two kind of creepy faces start poking out of it yeah and he kind of kicks it off of the bridge (laughs) Into this moat or whatever. Well, then a couple minutes later, these two dinosaur neck looking things that spray fire from their mouths come up out of this. So it's kind of like Willow created that. It's well, it's funny because that goes back to like Sorsha, right? She is the one, if she didn't tell her mother this is the child, we wouldn't have had this whole story. Yeah, this is true. It's funny because it's like these people, you know, create this entire narrative. Because when that dragon, that two headed dragon shows up, I mean, that thing looks like, uh, reminds me of the Rancor mm. from Return of the Jedi. Yes, I see that. I didn't think about that before, but yeah. And, like, I mean, that's heavy duty. Well, and it ups the ante in this kind of fight that they're having at this Tear Asleen castle. Um, And, you know, adds a whole other element with having a fire-breathing, two-headed dragon (laughs) thingy um, there. It's a lot to deal with. Yeah, it's very, it's a very impressive fight sequence. And these battles, I mean, the battle between um, Mad Mardigan... And General Kale is one of the craziest battles in the movie. Yeah, well, I mean, during this dragon battle is when Kale, I guess, is able to get Elora Dannon and slip away with her back to Queen Bavmorda. And that's what sets us up for the final, final, final battle. (laughs) There's like 42 final battles in this, it feels like. Um, But yeah, so they end up at this castle, which is Queen Bavmorda's castle, to just finally take her out because she's got the baby. She's trying to do the ritual. Oh, my God. And then she turns everyone on the field of battle into a pig. Yes. Another crazy transformation. Totally wild scene. Now, that one, they don't use the morphing. They do use, like, a lot of makeup effects. Oof. But it's really well done. It looks a lot like Star Wars type stuff again. The Gamorrean Guards. Yeah. Yes. It, it really has, like, a callback to that um, while people are middle in the middle of the transformation. Willow's able to escape being transformed, thankfully. Yes. And he, uh, you know, this is the scene when we have the morphing of Finn Rizel finally changing back into her true form. Mm-hmm. Um, because Willow is not a pig, thankfully. 
So Willow changes her back, um, not super successfully. He accidentally turns her into an ostrich, a turtle, and a tiger first. I loved the tiger. I, I know. She should have just stayed the tiger. I feel like that would have been pretty efficient. I would have liked that. But anyway, she wouldn't have been able to change everybody back from pigs into people if she had stayed a tiger. So I guess we're good. Well, they said, if I'm not mistaken, in one of these featurettes that they actually wanted to get a white tiger. Yeah, but they just couldn't. And it was from uh, the... Siegfried and Roy. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I was like, what? Yeah. And so they, they got this other tiger. I'm like, wow. You know yeah. what I mean? That was it, crazy. It's, the movie world is so amazing. It you know? is. You're like, hey, can you give like, me a tiger? All I right? want to do this. Okay, sure. I mean, like, <laughs> that's crazy. But, yeah, so she is turned back into herself finally. Yeah. And it's funny because earlier in the movie, she th- she must have been in animal form for a very long time. Yeah. Because she tells them that she's a young, beautiful woman. Mm. But when she's transformed back, she's much older. Right. You know? Um, but she still has power, and she's able to turn everybody back from pigs into people. Mm-hmm. So that they then go into this huge fight. Mad Mardigan and Kale have their final face-off. Yes. Which is a crazy, like, sword fight that lasts through, like, three phases or something. And then, uh, during this time, Willow is able to s- sneak into the castle. Uh, Finn Rizel gets into the castle. Mm-hmm. They have this big, kind of, face-off. With Queen Bavmorda. And Sorsha goes in there, too. Yeah. She lays down the law. She is ready to shut down her mother. Yeah, and this is a big moment because, mm-hmm. you know, that's her mother. Right. Um, but, you know, through this huge sequence of fight between fighting, sorcery, magic, etc., they're able to take down Queen Bavmorda. Well, it's interesting because Bavmorda's right-hand man tells her at the beginning of the film that Sorsha is going to turn against her. Mm. And Bav Morda will not believe it. Yeah. She says to the guy, I think you'll turn on me. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, I think you'll turn on me faster than her. So, um, yeah. That's but it, really, it's... I don't even remember that. That's very interesting. Well, it's the, the prophecies are such a big part of the film. And the magic is such a big part of the film. Because the High Aldwin, mm-hmm. right, Billy Barty gives Willow three magical acorns. Now, these acorns have the power to turn someone or something into stone. Medusa style. Yes. Exactly. Oh, my God. Clash of the time. Boom! (laughs) Right? So what happens? Okay? So he drops one of these acorns on the bridge. During the bridge troll fight. Correct. Yeah. And then... The second acorn is from a deleted scene, which is terrifying. Yeah. I mean, they couldn't make it work the way they wanted to, mm-hmm. which I kind of feel bad for it's Warwick amazing. Davis because yeah. he went through so much. They were on this uh, lake kind of set and he was being just battered by water and, you know, all this kind of stuff in this tank. Yeah. But he was supposed to be attacked by like this giant kind of sea monster fish thing. And he couldn't, uh, they couldn't make it look as good as they wanted to. But it was I terrifying. thought it looked pretty good, personally. And yeah. it was a great scene. I would have kept it, but, you know, I'm not in charge. So, and we don't see this in the movie, but he used one of those acorns to take out that sea monster. Well, it's terrifying because what he sees in the water is he sees the, this boy come out of the water. 
mm-hmm. right? And he looks pretty normal. Then the boy comes out again, and he's kind of turned into like a, a half a fish. Yeah, like kind of monsterific, right? Yeah. And then he comes out the third time, and he's this full-on fish monster, and he's like ready to take him down. He's like biting at the boat. It's kind of like Jaws. Yeah. You know, and it's just like, you know, you see Willow go underwater. It's horrifying. I am terrified of being underwater. I've been caught in the undertow. Still have nightmares about it. That happened when I was like seven. But, you know, it's like it's this very like powerful scene. Yeah. But, yeah, they they had to cut it. Um, But being able to see it. Yeah. Is awesome. I'm really happy that they, you know, restored that as a deleted scene and gave the kind of the backstory so you can learn about it. Yeah. Um, I wish it had been able to make it. To Me the movie. too. But that well, is then... the funny thing is that Ron Howard is saying that, you know, there were three acorns. Yes. And, and people, you know, fans of the movie are always like, well, what happened to the second acorn? You know? <laughs> um, because they realize he only used two in the movie out of the three that he got. Right. And it's really a deleted scene. It's where he used the second one. So I thought that was very funny. Well, and then the third one, that was amazing. Oh, yeah. Because he tosses it and Bav Morta catches it. Yeah. And she thinks she's like so cool that she caught it. It's like, I got you. And then her hand just like turns to stone and cracks. Yeah. Wow. That's a really cool scene. I mean, there's so many cool things happening in that fight with like the kind of brazier that comes to life and Willow kind of has to fight it. Right. Um, I mean, you just kind of have to watch it. Listening to us be like, Remember that cool part? It's not really a good podcast episode, but the sorceresses duking it out, yeah. like, like again, that is like when Roselle is just like decking Bav Morta <laughs> in the face. You're like, holy shit, this is amazing! Yeah. And both actresses are fantastic. It was Patricia Hayes as Finn Roselle and Jean Marsh as Queen Bav Morta. Brilliant. And the two of them are both phenomenal. I mean, Queen Bav Morta for me has kind of that Maleficent or, you know, other Disney villainess type kind of personality. And I feel like she brings that to life so well. Yeah. And she is scary. You know, she wants power. She has, you know, all of this uh, ability. Well, she's just terrifying. And, you know, so in the final scene, when Queen Babmorda is trying to do the ritual with Alora Dannon, like, Bab Warner looks crazy. You know, she's got, like, these black lines in her yeah. face. She just looks terrifying. And Jean Marsh is such a fantastic, fantastic actress. You know, she has so much power behind her to begin with that when you add on these creepy features on her, yeah. she looks like a demon. Yeah, it's it's wild. I love these epic battle sequences. And I, there's just so much action outside of the castle. Yeah. There's a lot of strategy at play. When you see Eric, and I'm just calling him Eric. That's all right? fine. Yeah, you know what I mean? When Please you, do. <laughs> all right. When we see Eric, you know, <laughs> our buddy Eric, you know, die, he gets killed by General Kale. Mm-hmm. And so Mad Martigan, you know, goes for it, and the two of them face off. And yes, this battle is insane. Like he cracks the skull mask yes. that Kale has. And then they, they keep, you know, fighting, 
you know, it, it's broken up. So I can't remember at which point Eric dies. But I know, like, the first thing is Mad Mardigan cracks the mask. Mm -hmm. And then they have this amazing battle, you know. And, like, Mad Mardigan stabs Kale, like, fully through the chest. Like, the blade goes through. Mm -hmm. Kale is still fighting. He's still kicking. Like, it doesn't mean shit. Yeah. And so it's like what he does is there's another blade on the ground and man, what a jagged, yeah. like serrated edge that on that! It's like it looks like a chainsaw or something, right? Yeah. And then he like goes to the ground and he like props the sword up and just pulls Kale down on it. Yeah. So that one just blasts through his chest too. Yeah. And that's what kills. But it's him. like he had to, you know, you couldn't just do one sword. No way. To take this dude out because he was too strong. Yeah. It's 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 awesome. And then, you know, that's it, pretty much. They vanquished the bad people. Mm -hmm. They've saved Allura Dannon. Yeah. And, you know, they kind of have the scene where they kind of say goodbye. Yeah. And Willow heads back home to his family, and he gets to have his reunion with his wife and kids. Yes. Um, and it's really a wonderful ending. So, yeah, Willow gets back to the village. He's with his, you know wife kaya who he loves it's a wonderful like reunion you can feel it yeah and then you know the kids mims and ran and they're so happy and it's such a great family yeah like they could have just had like you know a family comedy and i would have watched it <laughs> yeah well, there should have just been a spinoff of just the uff good family <laughs> we're the uff goods we would have yeah, exactly we'd have totally watched that yeah um but you know this is what's great about it is he's gone out on this adventure mm -hmm. willow has saved you know basically their whole world yeah you know from queen Bavmorda, and then he gets to go back home and live with his you know family in their village um and you know he's gain so much confidence in himself yeah. and he you know you know he's going to become a leader in their community definitely um, and that was the, what he wanted he wanted to be you know an apprentice to the high old one and why wouldn't they hire him for the job now yeah he's that was the a coolest. heck of a heck of an application process but he did it <laughs> burgle cut still might mouth off it's you know kind of I mean? like getting a job now you have to go through so many hoops <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. I mean, it's it's a, such a great movie because we have we have so many. It's such a great movie because we have so many things, you know, that just come to fruition. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, like you said, Willow, his confidence. Yes. Gets his status. Mad Mardigan reinstated. Gets the shit together. Right. <laughs> Sorsha back with the good guys. Yeah. You know what I mean? And they get a Laura Dannon. Yes. Wow. Fen, Fen Rizel restored to human form. Yes. Right? Uh, yeah. And the brownies? I don't know what happens to them, but at least we don't have to be there for it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm shitting on the brownies a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I, I liked them. I mean, that was something, I, when I was a kid... The brownies were so, so exciting because they're so mischievous. And when you're a kid, it's like I was always the type of kid that behaved in school, particularly when I was younger. I wouldn't talk. I wouldn't do any of these that things. That shocks me, but okay. It's, it's true. But, you know, when I got older, right, then, you know, 
things changed. <laughs> but at that time, it was just like, you know, I always w- would try to, you know, be cool, be quiet, you know. And you have these brownies that just do whatever they want. You yeah. know, they have this great chaotic energy. Totally chaotic. You know, and it's just like Fran, Gene, and Rule. These are some wonderful names. Well, and Rick Overton and Kevin Pollock are actually amazing. I'm yeah. not I'm not saying anything about the actors. I think they did exactly what they were supposed to be doing. And again, this is me, I think, suffering a little bit because I didn't see this until I was older. Yes, I get it. you know, Return of the Jedi. If you didn't see Return of the Jedi until you were older, I think that you would kind of think the Ewoks are terrible. But when I was a kid, I freaking loved the Ewoks. I thought it was the coolest thing ever. And, you know, Ewoks and brownies have a similar energy, I think. They do. They do. I mean, except brownies don't have, like, the... The cannibalism. You yeah. Know? Well, do we know that for I, sure? I mean. No, you're right. They had them. They had them tied up, right? They were going to they, eat some sort of living flesh. Like Willow Migosh. Yeah. They could have been a banquet. Who knows? I mean, yeah, okay. Yeah, we don't know. But I don't know. The brownies are a little crazy. You don't know what they're going to do. And the Ewoks are kind of like chaos teddy bears. You know? <laughs> I mean, what's better than that? You know? Yeah. I mean, it's so I really enjoyed the brownies and I loved I loved all the fun that they brought to it. And I, I just, I've had so many laughs, you know, with them over the years and getting to see like the featurettes where like they oh, yeah. superimposed them in character. That is hilarious. I mean, that's again a testament to Rick Overton and Kevin Pollock being funny as F. Yeah. Right. I mean, they're super, super hilarious. They're sitting in front of like a Barbie house. <laughs> yeah. That's what they put there. And you could see in the background, you know, they're on a stage, you know, at one of these lots. And it's just all these people are walking around in the background. Like you can see Ron Howard and they just have them, you know, at their brownie height on their chairs, yeah. you know, just doing an interview like you usually would. But you can tell that they're much smaller and they, they stay in character. Yeah. And the other thing that's amazing that I do have to mention is where we went to breakfast this morning, there was actually a signed headshot of Rick Overton. Overton. So it all comes together. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, this is the good thing that I would say about this, the brownies and well, Frangine and Rule in particular, Mm -hmm. is that Rick Overton and Kevin Pollock are having such a great time playing these characters that I do enjoy that. Um, but yeah, overall, I think, uh, the brownies are something I could have loved more if I had encountered that as a child. Yeah. I, and when you're older, you're like, damn it. I wish I had that then. I get it. You know, it, it's, it's very, um, it's, it's, it's hard when you miss out on some of these. Well, this is a kid movie in a lot of ways. Yeah. I mean, you know, not completely. There's things that aren't appropriate for kids in this and everything, but, Overall, this feels like a movie for kids because it has this simple story with this protagonist you can really, you know, love and get behind and really support. Yeah. You know, and again, that goes back to the writing, the story, Mm -hmm. and of course, casting the perfect person as Willow. I mean, Warwick Davis is Willow. Oh, 100%. He's such a good actor. And you see all these things that he's done, and he's always able to be completely different in each role. And he's solid. You know, I think you said that earlier in the show. You said he's just got like this gravitas. It's just like a natural 
thing. And yes, you feel it. And when you see the interviews with them, this is a person that's completely in control, is very open, is so talented, and is so excited. The fact that he had a video camera, this is amazing. He had a video camera and he had a video diary that he shot during the making of Willow. And uh, there was this featurette where we got to see a couple minutes of the footage and you heard Warwick Davis talking about it. And it was great. It's it's just oh, and a dream come true. Seventeen, you're in this after you've been in Return of the Jedi. I mean, oh man. Yeah, I mean, and and this is the thing that I admire so much about Warwick Davis is he gets this opportunity and mm-hmm. he takes absolute full advantage of it. Sure does. You know, he he throws himself into the role. He learns how to do all kinds of different things. Yeah. And you can just tell that he was up for anything, like whatever it took to make this movie work, where Davis was on it. And I love that. I freaking love it. Well, yeah, they said that the sledding, there was part of it that they were doing themselves, Val Kilmer and Warwick Davis. And Warwick Davis said, you know, at first he was trying to act when he was on the sled, but he was terrified and he figured, well, you know, Willow would be terrified. So I'm just going to show, you know, terrified. I think that's really funny. And and he and Val Kilmer had a really good relationship that he talks about. Um, you know, becoming really at ease. And Val Kilmer is really awesome and helpful to him in that as well. And you can tell. I mean, they have a great chemistry on screen, which I'm sure is because they had this comfort uh, with each other in real life as well. So it was really exciting to see Val Kilmer in this because I was a huge fan of Top Secret. I mean, that was hilarious. Yeah, we saw that in reruns a ton when we were kids. I think they put it on all the time. Yeah. Because it was kind of a slapstick type of a movie um, that everybody could kind of enjoy because it was the jokes were like on lower levels that kids could understand, I guess. Yeah, yeah. There was like, I think the opening number was skeet surfing. Oh, I love skeet surfing. (laughs) Surfing and shooting. Like, that's so insane. You know what I mean? And like, they were just like shooting the clay pigeons or whatever those are out of the air. Yeah, that was nuts. And then like, we also had like... uh, you know, real genius. That That's one of my favorites. And, you know, I got to see that out here at New Beverly, like in a matinee. And I was so fortunate because the director, Martha Coolidge, showed up and was able to talk about the casting process, was able to talk about Val Kilmer in the film. Well, he's he was really made for that movie because it has just that type of sense of humor yeah. that he's really good at playing. My best friend, Melissa, loves that movie, too. Mm-hmm. I wish you guys could have gone together. Oh, I don't, yeah. I don't know what it is about you two in that movie, but you're obsessed. I love it. <laughs> I lo- well, the reason I love Real Genius is because in that movie, he is a rebel, but he's also a person that's intelligent. Yeah. And it's one of the things that I ran into growing up is people would actually get mad at you for being intelligent. <laughs> I vividly remember a person saying when I was younger... Oh, I don't like A's. I like B's. B's are mint. Like what? Like I don't know. So it's just like it was just like a weird kind of energy. So seeing a movie, you know, where you had geeks like myself, you know <laughs> what I mean, center stage and they were having fun, it made you feel like okay, you know what I mean? 
you know, as I grow older, things will be easier and being smart is not a curse. It's a gift and I should be happy about it. Yeah. So I got that. And that was huge for me. And then, of course, we had Top Gun, right? Yes. Ice Man. Yeah. And, and so it's like we've seen him kind of run the gamut from comedic to serious. And then you have this fantasy film. And that's, you know, that's my bread and butter, you know, particularly when I was younger. Right. And uh, it was just I was like, whoa, this is like a dream come true. And it's also interesting because, you know, we talked about George Lucas a lot because he wrote the story. So catch this Star Wars. OK, we have Luke Skywalker and Han Solo. Luke Skywalker is our lead. What franchise do we have after? We have Indiana Jones, which is basically like Han Solo. Yeah. He's the lead this time. Yeah. So it's like, it's interesting. It's like they had these, these like kind of archetypes. Yeah. Well, that's exactly what it is because you have Willow's very Luke Skywalker-y. Mm -hmm. And then you also have, you know, his Han Solo kind of sidekick, Mad Mardigan. Right. I, I totally see it. And it works. And Val Kilmer does a freaking great job. Yeah. And I mean, speaking of Val Kilmer having chemistry with people. He and Joanne Wally ended up getting married after this movie. Right. So, uh, you know, Sorsha and Mad Mardigan got married in real life. Which is funny. But they didn't adopt that baby, did they? No, they did not that I know of. <laughs> that would have been amazing. It was probably multiple babies playing the one baby. Like, maybe they basically. adopted them all. Oh, maybe. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> oh, if not, man. they should have. Come right. on. What were you guys doing? So this is the first film, you know, we've done from Ron Howard. And, and it's been awesome. You know, he's had so many great movies that he's directed over the years. And I'm sure, you know, we're going to see that again. But, man, I, I just absolutely love this movie. And it's so great to be able to go back and be a kid again and watch this. This entire sword and sorcery series. It's been wonderful oh, to yes. do. Yeah. I mean, it's it's been just so much fun to do four movies that all kind of have, you know, at the core, this sword and sorcery concept mm -hmm. but look at how creative people are able to be within that yes you know we have a space movie a greek mythology movie a half fantasy movie and like a more like i don't even know what an action adventure like huge dude movie i don't know what we want to call conan there's so many things to it right right it's also kind of like a comic book movie or you know it's it based is comic on a book, book. Yeah. i mean it's a very it's very cool that so many of these concepts go across all these different types of movies within that mm -hmm. and i just feel like it was so much fun to be able to look at the genre conventions across the board as well as how people took those and you know, um, change them or, you know, adapted them or whatever to make a unique story. And these were four very unique movies, all of which had really interesting choices made. I yeah. mean, you know, Star Wars has like so much, um, so many effects and things and it's set in space and there's like, you know, the battle versus good and evil. It's on such a grand scale. Mm -hmm. You have Conan, which is more of a, a brute force kind of movie. Right. You know, and they did this cool stuff with like mechanical um, snakes and things like that. That was insane. Right. Um, and then we go into um, 
Clash of the Titans, which has all this like stop motion animation mm -hmm. effects, which is totally different and interesting. And then we go into Willow, which has a lot of practical, the birth of digital. Right. And then also we saw a featurette on like how they used like matte paintings and stuff. Yeah. And they were able to, you know, connect those to make a film and it was brilliant like the amount of work that it takes to do these types of effects whether they're practical or digital mm -hmm. is really exciting you yeah. know and then if you go into fantasy movies in the more recent years you're looking at all this digital stuff that's really mind-blowing too yeah and we didn't really look on any of those things there aren't as many to me that I have rewatched, mm -hmm. but 10 years from now, I can't say that will be the case. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Um, it's going to be, there's going to be new things that we're revisiting and loving and enjoying. Well, there's always a genre turnaround. Yeah. It's always something is hot right now. Right now, I would say the hot thing is horror. Yeah. That is, you know, what we're seeing a ton of. Yeah. And who knows how long we'll ride that wave. Yeah. And what'll be next? You well, know? and, you know, we've got this Willow television show to look forward to. Yes. And television is doing a lot with fantasy now. I mm -hmm. mean, if we look at Game of Thrones yeah. and what they did with, like, the dragons and the Night King and all of these crazy things, mm -hmm. it's really impressive. Yeah. So even on the small screen now, people are doing really big things with fantasy. Yeah. It, it's, it's something to, like look forward to and it's it's so amazing to go back and just see what kind of birthed all this yeah it, it really is it's very um fulfilling to us as big movie fans to kind of look at the history and growth of this genre and see what people were able to do with it. Like Ray Harryhausen, you yeah. know, that whole thing. I mean, and even when I say this is the beginning, I mean, this is just like another chapter in it. I mean, yeah. this goes so far back. I think we could just keep tracing it. We could. We wow. could. I mean, That'd be the, a project. It'd be awesome. The, we didn't even, we almost didn't even hit a decade with the amount of time that we looked at these movies. Because... You know, we looked at Star Wars, which was 77, yep. Conan was 82, mm -hmm. um, Clash of the Titans was 81, mm -hmm. and then Willow was 88. So yeah. that's just an 11-year time span yeah. that we covered in this four-week series. You could go back further. We could come further into the future. There's so many more that we can revisit. And I'm sure we will have another sword and sorcery or fantasy-type um, series. Definitely. Yeah. Down Definitely. the road after we revisit some other things first. But this was a lot of fun for us. Yeah. This was a blast. Yeah. This was a blast. And we hope everyone else has enjoyed it just as much as us. Um, if you want to check us out uh, on the web, as the the not kids say, as the boomers <laughs> say. <laughs> Um, you can look us up on Instagram. You can look us up on uh, Facebook. You'll be the only one. <laughs> um, or you can check out our uh, website, which is comfortfilmspodcast.com. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of additional uh, material there uh, and more being added every day. Mm -hmm. um, we try to write like a little essay related to each uh, movie that we discuss. Uh, and we are slowly catching up. 
on those. Yeah, so and we, we even have guests. We when do. we have guests on, we have them write the essay. Exactly. So Very we don't neat. have any of those up yet, but stay tuned. That's going to be really fun. Mm-hmm. YouTube. Oh, yeah. Forgot about YouTube. YouTube. Take a look. Comfort Films Podcast. We've got a lot of videos up. And what we've done is we've clipped out a lot of our episodes with video segments. We've put in some funny stills. Uh, we got some face in the whole action. <laughs> By we, John means him. He's well, done all of this work. Um, and, and yeah, green screen stuff is coming, too. <laughs> so, I mean, we're advancing slowly, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah, if you feel like you want to look at us instead of just hearing us, you can mm-hmm. certainly go on YouTube and check us out there. Um, yeah, and that's... That's our episode this week, folks. It is. Thanks for joining us. And as always, stay stay comfy. comfy.